Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Today we're going to talk about advanced care planning. This is part two of our two-part series on geriatric care and end-of-life issues. And today we have geriatric nurse practitioner specialist Joy Kuihara and Lonnie Hubbard, who's also at Islands Hospice, and they're in the studio, and we're going to be talking about end-of-life care, advanced directives, and how to help each other and our loved ones make the best choices for our medical health now and into the future. Now, we also have a little special guest in the studio. I'll keep you in suspense, and we're going to discuss setting up your advanced directives with this special guest live in the studio on air. So if you ever wanted to know how do you bring up this conversation with your parents and loved ones, you'll find out in just a few minutes. Now, as always, we want to hear from you. And we did hear from quite a few folks last week, and there were a couple of callers who couldn't get through. So phone lines are open, 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Lonnie, Joy, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. Thank you. Now, let's talk a little bit. Last week, we kind of went through some of the basics about what are advanced healthcare directives. And we kind of threw along a lot of terms. We talked about the physician's order or now provider's order for life-sustaining treatment, otherwise known as the POLST. We also talked about living wills, uh, healthcare directives, and we sort of threw out a lot of terms. So for some real basics, let's just go over what those terms mean. Joy, I'm going to start with you. One of the forms we talked about was an advanced healthcare directive or healthcare living will. Same, equal, what is that form and when does it take place? When is it needed? So it's basically the same form. The living will is actually one type of healthcare directive. Um, so probably, a living will, okay. Probably the first version, I would say, of the healthcare living will that came out, you know, many years ago. Um, simply asked about what type of treatments you would want if you had a terminal or chronic illness and um, what, you know, would you want uh, breathing tubes or specific things like that. What it lacked, though, was not naming a healthcare power of attorney or healthcare decision maker. So that's the newer version of the advanced healthcare directives does include that. So it, it actually includes the living will and has that extra piece to it. Okay, so to make it real simple, a living will or healthcare living will is a type of advanced directive. Yes. And the papers that you might see at your doctor's office, what we now might refer to as living will or advanced directive, need to or should include that designated person. Correct. And what's their job? What are, what are they supposed to do? You mean the advanced healthcare directive in general? Well, the person you or designate. What's, what's okay. their job? So the surrogate decision maker, your healthcare decision maker, in the event that you, as a, the patient, is too ill to speak to your healthcare providers, that person you designate would then make the healthcare decisions for you. So what's important in not only doing your healthcare directive and choosing your decision maker is also having a conversation with the decision maker, whomever you choose, so that they know what your wishes are as well. Sure. So you don't just pick like a random person. You pick somebody you know. And their job is really to make sure that the doctors and the medical community respect and follow what your advanced directives are. And if something is not 
explicitly stated to help make that decision in accordance with what that person might have wanted. So, for example, if it's, you know, you're the advanced uh, directive designate for your spouse and your spouse said, I never want to be on a breathing machine, your job isn't to say, well, you can't say no now, honey, put it on. Your right. job is to say he never wanted that. Yes. And respect his wishes. Correct. Honor which are wishes. probably in writing. Yes. And not to overturn them. Yes. Right. And also deal with other family members who may want something different and kind of expressing, you know, just again, what the patient wanted and what, what their wishes are. So, and often that's a really tough job. Yeah. Your decision maker is supposed to be the person who speaks for you right. and is strong enough or able to navigate and negotiate through the rest of your family to make sure that nobody overturns those wishes. Yes. Right. Okay. What if your decision maker is gone? What if it was a spouse and the spouse passed away? Do you have to redo the whole advance directive or just designate somebody else? So there are two options, actually. So, yes, ideally doing another advanced health care directive would be good. Um, oftentimes, though, because I deal with patients where that, that's the situation, and unfortunately, if they are not able to do another advanced health care directive, then another option is if they no longer can... Um, make their own decisions, then there can actually be a surrogate decision maker selected by the physician as well as the whole, all the other family members, and it's called a non-designated surrogate decision maker. So either you pick somebody. Yes. Now, can you pick a number one and number two? Yes, and so, actually more than two if you want to. Some like three, do. four, and five? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just make sure number five doesn't get upset they're not number one, you know. I think most times in Hawaii, though, even though there is a you know, one or two person decision maker. I think just because of the culture here is it's very ohana or family oriented that usually there's a discussion that the whole family ends up having together. You know, that's one situation. Although there are other situations where there's a lot of disagreement in the family and then yes, it does come down to who that primary decision maker is. So if you have an advanced care directive, you picked somebody, mm -hmm. the somebody isn't able to do it for whatever reason, they're gone, they can't be found, something. Either the doctor and hospital will find somebody else for you, could be family member, or you, if you can make another one, you'll do it while you're able to make that decision. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk then, and, and we'll, we'll get to when you can't make that decision in just a moment. But I want to contrast that particular document because you know these days we're asking everybody do you have a living will do you have an advanced directive right. and the reason we're doing that in in my office and actually in lots of doctors offices you know statewide is really because we're recognizing a lot of folks have these papers and we may not now that we have an electronic medical record we might not have easy access to it so having it something that you can go on the computer and you can click on a little icon and you can see this form is one way that you're able to really have that available when and if it's needed immediately upon command and not say, let me go pull the paper chart. That'll take a day or so. So it really makes it easy. So we're asking everybody, do you have them? And this is one of the forms. So if you have this at home in a drawer, if you never made a copy, brought it to your provider's office, it's never too late. Please do so. And then we often talk about another form which has a totally different role. So just to clarify, advanced directives take place once you're in the hospital or if you're in a situation where you can't take care of yourself. Okay. 
Now, what about those emergency situations? And Lonnie, I want you to tell us a little bit more about this POLST, this Provider Order for Life-Sustaining Treatment, because it's different than the advanced directive. And last week, we kind of talked a little bit about the difference between the two, but I'd like to clarify. So tell me about this other paper. Okay, well, a POLST, or a Provider Order for Life-Sustaining Treatment, is a form that's needed for a person who has chronic debilitating illnesses or is facing a life-limiting illness. So it, it's a little bit um, different, like if you're dealing with an end-stage disease, such as cancer or end-stage heart disease or, um, you know, a, a, a terminal illness, it's something that you definitely would want. And it is a form that is, it does involve a discussion um, with um, somebody trained in administering a POLST. Um, and it talks about, um, there's, want me to talk about the form itself, the, the different parts of it? Well, yeah, the basic yeah. idea is that if you're home and you suddenly trip, fall, and are unconscious, yes, and you have this emergency, Somebody needs to know, the ambulance people need to know, EMTs need to know, what do you want done? Right. Until you enter the hospital facility, Mm -hmm. there's this gap. And the gap is that even if your advanced directive says, if I'm terminal, don't do anything, in an emergency situation, EMS needs to know what to do. Right. And they will look for the pulse if one has been completed. Because if there isn't one, they're going to do everything. Right. Okay. So the people who really need this mm-hmm. are the ones who say, listen, you know, I'm 90, I have cancer. If I were to suddenly be found down, don't try and resuscitate me and bring me to the hospital. Let me go naturally. Right. So if you have that decision that you've made, you want to make sure that you put it in a particular place in writing mm-hmm. so that the ambulance can follow that. Correct. If an ambulance is called. Correct. And okay. that's why we have the bright green form because it's rather easy to spot. It's not, um, you know, copies can be made, but usually the original is a bright green form. Um, and oftentimes we encourage families to put them on the refrigerator or in a set spot so it's easy to find for um, EMS should they that be needed. And let's go through a couple of those questions because it sounds um, surprisingly familiar to an advanced directive. Correct. Um, however, there are um, so the the provider order for life sustaining treatment um, has three parts. The first part um, talks about CPR or um, do not resuscitate, um, allowing a natural death. Um, part B talks um, about um, medical um, interventions. Um, whether you would want full treatment, limited, um, or comfort measures only. And the third part talks about um, artificial um, nutrition and hydration, so G-tube feedings. Um, And you can say whether you would want it, not want it, or um, a limited time. And you could indicate how long, you know, you would want to trial it for. So the main goal of this particular form is to let emergency workers know, do they take you to the hospital Do they start chest compressions? Right. Do they put you in a breathing machine or not? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, we had an interesting thing that occurred last week, and we discussed it briefly, but I want to highlight that again. This form, this bright green provider's order for life-sustaining treatment, does not replace an advanced healthcare directive and does not have to be the same as your advanced healthcare directive. You may decide, hey, listen, 
if I go down, nobody knows what caused it. So bring me to the hospital so they can figure it out. And then if they figure it out and say, you know, we're so sorry, Mrs. Jones, you're not going to get better. Um, you know, we're not able to to make you get better. And that's when your advanced care directive takes place. That although you'd want those two forms to be somewhat similar, mm -hmm. they actually have two separate purposes and mean two separate things. Correct? Mm -hmm. All right. So if you have an advanced health care directive, that only takes place when you're in the hospital or a facility. Well, no, I, th I think actually, we got to make it simple. Okay. Tell no, me, Joy. You're about I, to complicate things. No, it's not complicated. Actually, your advanced health care directives, I look at as really as older patients making, and, and you can even, they actually recommend it for 18 and above, but you actually can make a health care directive, and that's just you really telling your family and your loved ones, hey, if I were in this situation, if I were in a terminal condition, these are the things I would want. These are the things I don't want. So we can, we actually, I call it a gift that you're giving your family when you do one. So you don't necessarily need to be in the hospital to do one. Ideally, if you can do it before you are, you know, you get very ill and before, you know, when you actually are younger and have the opportunity to kind of sit and think about different scenarios and what you, what you would like to do. Sure. The idea is that you have the discussion beforehand. Right. But when we actually take that document out and say, okay. Grandma's not doing well. She's not getting better. That's more often than not going to happen when someone's in the hospital as opposed to if you call an ambulance for grandma and she has an advanced health directive that says, I don't want to have resuscitation, but the ambulance shows up at your house, they need to find the provider's order. Correct. They yes. still need yes. to transport grandma yep. to the hospital yeah, and absolutely. do everything they can. Yes. Right. That's the niche yes. of the pulse. Yes. Right. Okay. If it sounded like I was suggesting wait until you're already hospitalized to do your advanced directive, no, that would be not the best of all times to do it. You might want to do it a little earlier. But okay. So really the niche of this provider's order is if grandma never wants to go to the hospital again, write it down. Yep. Because if you don't and you call the ambulance, they are required, regardless of what her advance directive says, to take her to the hospital. Correct. And that's why it's called the provider order. Exactly. It's order. follow it. You, yes. need, you need doctor's orders or provider's orders. Mm -hmm. so, so your provider, whether it be a nurse practitioner or a physician, that's what you need. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that was a little bit of confusion. And if you want to go to the hospital to find out if you're terminal or not, go for it. Your provider's order can be bring me to the hospital, do everything until I get there. And then if after a week or two things aren't going well, that's when we start start taking a look, although we do before that, but that's when this advanced healthcare healthcare directive comes into play. All right, I'm getting nods of yes. Right. right. Okay. Now, who should not be making advanced healthcare directives? Under what situations might it be a little too late with timing? Joy, if somebody has advanced dementia, it's probably not something that they could figure out and make adequate decisions then, could they? No, so it sounds like you're talking about whether the person has the ability to understand, you know, the questions being asked or has what we call medical capacity. Okay. Right. So the people who make these documents, the, the pulse to the provider's order or the advanced healthcare directive, you have to have the ability to make the decisions for yourself. Right. right. Okay. So certain conditions would make you unable to do that. Correct. What are some of those? Um, any 
medical condition where you have what we call cognitive impairments or cannot really um, make your own decisions. So things like um, possibly dementia, um, stroke, maybe more advanced stages of Parkinson's disease. Those are just some examples, but any medical condition where you're not really able to understand or voice, you know, what your decisions are. So it could even be someone who was born with a developmental disability. Correct. And they need to have, what if somebody who is in that situation needs advanced health care directives? Probably at that point, if there was no family member to step in, that's when we look towards things like guardianship, where the state appoints a guardian for that person. To make decisions. To make decisions, I'm sorry. On yes, their to behalf. Make, yes. Or a surrogate okay. if they do. Or right, a surrogate right. if they have family yeah. or someone like that. Yeah. So if you're under 18, it might be a parent who does mm-hmm. that. And then after 18, then it would it ever still be the parent? I would imagine if they're a family member, they could still right. be making those right. decisions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, they were, if they had some kind of congenital, right. Okay. So we've cleared up a lot of some of the confusion, but Joy, you did something special. You did my homework last week. So somebody asked and said, do those bracelets actually mean anything? And I went, I'll look into that and I'll get back to you. And I did not do either one of those. So I am so happy you're here today because you looked into it and you're going to get back to us. The bracelets, the the jewelry, the things that some people can get, their medical ID bracelet, and they sometimes put on there, do not resuscitate, do not intubate, um, or they put other things down there. You found the reference to what our EMS here in Hawaii does when they see it. Tell us. So I think you're referring to the comfort um, care only, or they call it the DNR comfort care only bracelet. So it actually came out quite some years ago. But if you do have one of those bracelets, they are still recognized. um, And it does indicate to the EMS who respond that you do not want any kind of CPR or you do not want to be uh, resuscitated again. And the reason to have those is because although lots of people may have their provider's orders in bright green on the fridge, you may not be home. Correct. And you might be in a situation where you have an accident or an injury and you're not at home and you don't have the forms available. Right. So we used to actually um, issue them out to our um, patients with unfortunately advanced dementia where they would sometimes wander and they, you know, would maybe be away from the home and not you know, be near their loved ones. So if they had one of those bracelets on and if they were found by an EMS in some situation where their heart would stop, then it means that they did not want to be um, resuscitated or have CPR. So they're recognized here by EMS. Yes. And you can get one still and there is a reason for it. Yes. All right. We are clearing up a whole bunch of myths about advanced healthcare directives. And we're going to do that again in just a minute. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with geriatric nurse practitioner specialist Joy Kuihara and Lonnie Hubbard from Straub Clinic and Islands Hospice, respectively. And when we come back, we're going to talk with our special guest about advanced care directives and kind of go through the process. So if you want to know who that is, you're going to stick with us. Now, as always, we take your phone calls. If you have a question, 941-3689, toll-free Neighbor Islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. I got married and entered into a series of absolutely insane culinary episodes. I made the Brazilian national dish. I wrapped things in phyllo and stuffed grape leaves. Nora Efron's Food Fads, this week on Selected Shorts. 
from PRI Public Radio International. Tuesday at 5 p.m. following Travel with Rick Steves. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. Next time on Bite Marks Cafe, we'll talk about the General Assembly of the International Astronomical Union. The world's largest meeting of astronomers is coming to Hawaii. What's on the agenda for these super stargazers? That's next time on Bite Marks Cafe, Wednesday at 5. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Straub Clinic and Hospital, Infinity of Honolulu, and Gourmet Events Hawaii. Aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Lonnie Hubbard from Islands Hospice. She's a nurse practitioner specializing in geriatrics and palliative care. And also Joy Kuihara. She's at Strop Clinic and she is a geriatric nurse practitioner who helps take care of folks as they have needs and get older and go to some of our care facilities. And as promised, we have a special guest. Welcome to my dad who's visiting here and who I have coerced, cajoled, begged, pleaded, all of the above to come on air today to do advanced healthcare directives. Welcome, Dad. Aloha, Kath. I'm glad to be here, and thank you for having me. Happy or not, you're here anyway. All right, and we are going to talk about advanced care directives. So if you ever wondered, how do you bring up these conversations with your parents? Well, you're about to hear me bring it up with mine, and you can use it as a model or even play it for your folks and say, I want to do what she was doing, and let's talk about some of these issues. So let's go ahead and review a little bit. Now, I'm going to reveal some stuff, Dad, and I guess it's a little too late for me not to. My father is a 70-ish, we'll say, ish. A uh, gentleman who's had some previous problems, had some, had uh, heart surgery maybe about 16 or 17 years ago, and otherwise pretty healthy, but, you know, you never know when things happen. Uh, my mother maybe about, uh, back in 08, had a massive stroke and is half paralyzed on one side. So we, we as a family, there's four children, and we've already had discussions regarding my mother sort of at that moment when you're not supposed to wait that long. And, you know, here we are, two physicians and, and two uh, educated lawyers, <laughs> the doctor's worst nightmare is our family. And here we are with the mother who's not doing well, and we have to come up on the fly with some decisions on what to do for her. And it really highlighted the fact that we really haven't had these discussions with parents. So knowing the history of what's happened with mom, here we are, Dad, and we want to decide what sort of things would you want in a situation should there ever be an emergency condition. So we're going to talk about the emergency situation like that pulsed form we just reviewed, and then we're going to talk about advanced healthcare directives. So let's make it real basic. If you were ever at home in your house and and you, for whatever reason, somebody found you unconscious, unable to answer questions, unable to, to communicate with them. Do you want them to call an ambulance? Well, first I'd like to say one thing. Okay, just one. I'd like to say that we all die and we don't know really when or how. And these forms, all of the forms that we refer to, simply stated, make it easier for the family and loved ones 
to deal with an unfortunate situation or death. That alone makes it important to consider doing these forms, and not only the mother or father, uh, the children as well, when they're old enough to recognize the fact that things can happen and misfortunes can happen. So if I were in the situation you described, okay, uh, I would certainly want someone to call uh, the EMS for help and transport to a hospital. All right. So call an ambulance, bring you to the mm-hmm. hospital. Do yes. whatever is necessary to get you to the point where you're in the hospital. Yes. All right. It kind of makes sense. A lot of people feel like that. They say, well, if you don't know what's wrong, then I want you to take me to the hospital. If you do know what's wrong, then that's a different scenario. So we're working on the assumption that somebody finds you down, we don't know why, bring you to the hospital. All right. Question number one is answered. Now, let's talk a little bit about some of the other things that are on the provider's order form, but also on an advanced healthcare directive. So one of the questions, and we both have this form in front of us to take a look at, we're using the real short, simple one. And the reason we are is because, well, it's, it's real short and simple, but presumably the other discussions that you have talking about some of these issues you actually have prior to. So I've kind of prepped Dad a little bit about some of the questions. So let's go through this one. Okay, if they find out when you're in the hospital that you have a condition that is not necessarily going to get better and you're close to death and life support would only postpone the moment of death, would you want to have your life prolonged as long as possible within the, quote, generally accepted healthcare standards that apply to your condition? So if you're not going to get better, and you're on machines, or maybe not, but there's no hope of recovery, do you want us to prolong your life by doing something medically, or would you like us not to? Well, I can answer that by simply saying uh, both. The first part of the both would be for a period of time to determine whether or not there, there would be a chance for any significant improvement or otherwise. Uh, The second part of it would be if it's going to basically be uh, a long-term event and there's no chance of getting any better, uh, then I would not encourage anyone to use unnecessary means to prolong life. Okay, so let's get some concrete examples. So just so that we can make sure that we understand and everybody who might be also in this situation understands what this means. So if you had a massive heart attack and you were not going to get better but not necessarily getting worse, would you want to have things done to keep you going if you were able to communicate with us, talk with us, Etc. Maybe not be as good as you are now, but if you were to have a heart attack and you weren't weren't going to get better, but weren't necessarily going to get worse, do you want stuff done? Well, the, the common denominator for me for all of the conditions would be the issue of the brain function. If the brain function is seriously impaired or uh, actually possibly even non-functioning, then there should be no further effort to prolong life. On the other hand, if the brain function has not been impaired, then a period of time to exactly see what you would lose or might have lost 
as a result of the heart attack or even stroke uh, and the effect it would have on your body. Um, even if we talk in terms of two or three weeks okay. to make that determination. So do stuff for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And then if after a couple of weeks, you're not getting better. Right. Because I, I am not a proponent of being in a, whether it's an induced coma, medically induced coma, or or a coma itself for uh, a really long period of time with little or no hope to come out of it. That only prolongs suffering and prolongs agony for the people that I care about the most. Uh, I can see where uh, decisions like this are hard and they're tough, but they're even harder and tougher if a form is not filled out ahead of time expressing my input into a family decisions that we've probably done our whole lives with important issues. We all had our input. We all had our point of view. Uh, This would be my point of view in that instance to carry out the wishes that that this form indicates. Okay. Or that these forms indicate. Sure. So if you're going to get better, keep doing stuff. If you get to the point where you're not going to get better, you're on machines, Mm -hmm. your brain is not recovering, you're either unconscious, unable to answer questions, or impaired in some fashion, you don't want to be kept alive indefinitely. That's absolutely right. Okay. Would you want to have artificial nutrition? So we're talking feeding tubes. My mother had one for a few months while her swallowing was recovering. Luckily, she kept showing progress and improvement because that meant that this made sense for her medically. If you ever got to the point where you were unable to swallow and there was no hope that you ever could, would you want to have artificial feedings through a tube or would you not? Once again, I refer to the the brain functioning. Okay. Once that goes, there should be no attempts beyond that. Prior to that, if there's any indication that there's a chance to come back to a reasonably um, normal or fair quality of life, then I would I would say yes, I would I would want that. Okay, so if you could function in society, your brain was functioning, you wouldn't mind having a feeding tube. But if your brain wasn't functioning and this was just prolonging your life, you don't want one. That's true. All right. And then relief from pain. This is actually probably one of the easiest parts of it. Do you want to have pain medicine if you're in pain? I don't honestly know that many people who say, no, no, just let me suffer. I mean, I just, now don't be the first person to say that on me. But I mean, if you needed medicine to help you deal with pain, would you want it? If the quality of life that I would have was assisted by uh, the pain medication, yes, if it had to, I can't tell you that there's a situation that I would refuse pain medicine. That's kind of what I was thinking. I mean, most people don't generally say, no, no, let me suffer. I mean, they usually want that. Now, there's another part of it that we kind of skipped over, which was the first part, which um, we went right into the questions. But the one important thing to do prior to that is to designate an agent, an agent being either a spouse, adult child, friend, other trusted person. And the form we looked at, the first page had choose number one and then choose an alternate, number two. I've already nominated my brother, my younger brother, to be your alternate. You may not like that, Dad, but I have. Because he's the one who actually can negotiate between the other rest of us and somehow make us all agree. 
in that sort of a situation, if you have a family where there's multiple siblings, picking one to be the decision maker would be a good idea. Now, ironically, I picked my younger brother, the lawyer, not my older brother or myself, the physicians. And there is a reason why I suggested that. First of all, two doctors. I mean, really? Are we going to agree? We would hope so, but you never know. Um, But the second reason is sometimes medicine hits a little too close to home, and you kind of know what could go on, and you know what the chances are and the potential is, but you may be the only one who knows, and your siblings may not understand that, or your loved ones may not understand that, and they may feel like you're making a decision that they don't completely comprehend. Having you be able to bring input to that decision, but have them be part of that final decision-making process, to me, seems like a really important value to bring to this. And, I mean, I nominate Michael. I don't know. Would that be? Do we nominate him? He doesn't know it. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry to put it to you this way, um, but before you mentioned Michael, I had already selected Michael uh, as far as the executor of the will. And other things for the same reasons that you just explained. Michael is the uh, completely embarrassed person who's turning off the radio right now, wishing we did not share the same last name. That's what Michael is at the moment. But he's the level-headed person of the four who I feel could make an impartial decision when it had to be made, and then would not be part of an argument among the others. Oh, because we more, never argue. We're siblings. He's more. <laughs> Uh, down to earth and realistic when it comes to outcomes and logic and conclusions. I selected Michael to be the executor of the will for the same reasons that you um, selected him. But I agree. But it was something I thought about before. And He's it. He's it. He's it. Now let's make a quick differentiation. When we talk about um, a living will or an advanced health care directive, We're not talking about the money. So my dad just mentioned executor, and an executor is someone who is in charge of the will and various parts of that will. But that person doesn't necessarily need to be your surrogate decision maker on your advanced health care directive. Those two people can be different. And so if if you have someone that you've designated as the executor of your will, you still want to go ahead and designate an individual who would be able to make those decisions for you as far as your medical needs are concerned. So they are two separate people, although in our family's case, they're all one and they're all my brother Mike. So hope you're listening out there and, uh, you know, guess who's in charge of everything. But there is a difference in those two those two designated individuals, now just have, so that people understand. I have understand. one other issue I'd like to bring up. In addition to Michael, if he, for any reason, cannot do what he's been designated to do, my second choice was you. Whether you like it or you do not like it, uh, well, I made I a feel free. Special. I I'm made number a free two. and independent decision. Okay. On who is going to be second, I also have a third choice. But that's not really necessary at this point, unless you want me to tell you what your brother, my son, my other son. Also a physician. 
And uh, then there's a fourth. I'm really happy I'm not number four. That's all I'm going to show up, <laughs> say it right now, is, well, you know, at least I don't have to be last. I mean, all right, I'm a middle child. And so sometimes the middle kids often get kind of pushed in the back. But I get to be number two. So I feel special. Thank you. And, you know, if ever I were to go against your advanced health care directive wishes, well, somebody can play the podcast, as anybody can hear. And then you can hear exactly what you wanted in your own voice. So... Thanks for coming in on vacation, being brave, saying what it is that you want as far as your medical future is concerned, should and if the need ever arise. So thanks for being willing. You're on vacation. You came here, put a microphone in front of you and said, go for it. Thank you. And I I will say that I am equally proud of all four of you. And the decision to make one over another had nothing to do with how I feel about any one of you. It was basically... Uh, choosing the best person in the right situation. And I thank you for having me. Well, and that's sort of the idea, and thanks for being on, is that, you know, if you as a parent or as as a person decide that you want to pick certain individuals above others, you know, we joke around about, hey, I'm number two. But in a more serious nature, that does not mean that anybody who's second or not listed is not trusted or is not equally equally considered a friend, family member, loved one. It's just you have to pick one. You don't necessarily want to go ahead and pick 10 people to all come to some sort of voting agreement. And it doesn't mean anything about who is not chosen. That really, it's just looking at who might be able to be, like you mentioned, the most level-headed in making a decision and making sure that they're part of that decision and everyone else feels like their comments are noted. So, May you know, I please add one other thing? Here he is adding another thing. Just one oh, other okay. thing. He said that last time. The fourth choice is Dorothy, my other daughter. I feel the kids have the most to offer at the end of the parents' lives, and I would look forward to any one of the four of you making the correct decision. But I wanted to make sure Dorothy was mentioned as number four. Thank Love you. Love the fact she's number four. I'm just saying I'm a two. Once a sibling, always a sibling. You'll never go ahead and change. All right. Well, and that's kind of an interesting process so that if if you do want to know how do you bring up these questions with your parents or loved ones, there's an easy way to do so. It's just a discussion. And really, nobody should feel neglected or bad or in any way um, not have their wishes heard when they speak to their parents and or their loved ones. And if you haven't in your family had advanced directives, this is something that you might want to bring up and discuss is, you know, hey. Dr. Kozak did her dad's live on air. So we'll make him sign on the dotted line a little later. Uh, But something important for everybody to take a look at. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Joy Kuihara, geriatric nurse practitioner specialist, and Lonnie Hubbard, a nurse practitioner specialist at Islands Hospice. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little more about some of the other issues to bring up and discuss with family members, loved ones, parents, etc., as people get older. We'll be right back after this quick break. If you have any questions or you want to join us, 941-3689, toll free from our neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Stay with us. On New Letters on the Air, Kenneth Irby discusses ideas that have influenced his work for five decades, culminating in his book of collected poems, The Intent On. Art is what is there beyond what you intended. Listen to Kenneth Irby talk with former Kansas poet laureate Denise Lowe as he reads poems inspired by the Black Mountain poets on the next New Letters on the Air. 
Tuesday evening at 6.30, following Marketplace. There's new science in determining the rare pigments that are in priceless works of art. You don't want to scrape off the Mona Lisa's face. You want to take a teeny, teeny, tiny sample and then use this approach to then obtain a fingerprint of your sample. I'm Sarah McConnell. Join me for With Good Reason. Thursdays at 6.30 on Hawaii Public Radio. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Nohea Gallery and Kaiser Permanente. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Lonnie Hubbard. She is a geriatric nurse practitioner at Islands Hospice and Joy Kuihara was a geriatric nurse, nurse practitioner at Straub Clinic. And we are here today discussing advanced care planning and advanced directives. Now, if you want to join our conversation, you can at 941-3689. Toll free, Neighbor Islands, 877-941-3689. And if you missed it, we just had my dad do advanced directives live on air. So, Let's say we've got a bunch of papers, Joy. Where do we put them? Who should have copies of these papers? We talked about maybe putting that provider's order on the fridge um, or somewhere prominent in the house. What about these other forms? People should, you know, I think they should bring a copy into their doctor's office. It does not have to be notarized. It does not have to be the original. Um, The latest copy would be fine because we scan it into the chart. But who else needs these? So before I answer your question, I just want to comment that I thought it was really brave of both your dad as well as yourself, you know, opening up and having that kind of conversation on air. So that was really wonderful. It was fun. Thanks for uh, Thank thanks you. to dad for being on, and thanks to you for for sitting there patiently as we go through this process and being our witness. But there I think it also it just highlights how easy it is. It, it's not as hard as people think. You know, I mean, you just did it, and I think the listeners probably can really appreciate that. And do it while somebody can answer the question and they're healthy. Yes. And you're yes. not looking at some hospital situation exactly. while you're having this discussion while somebody's laying in a bed and right. and hopefully able to communicate. But agreed. Okay. So to answer your question about where, you know, if you do do a, a healthcare directive, who should have a copy, definitely um, speak to your physician um, and as well as giving him a copy. That way they can get it scanned into their records, as you had mentioned. Um, if you have a green form or the pulse form, definitely having it um, somewhere visible like the refrigerator. I usually tell patients to um, have that available whenever you go to the hospital or an emergency room, just as you would your current list of medications. You know, keep those two in the same place would be good. Um, I think that's about it would be your, your physician. and Or if you were also going to the emergency room, having a copy of your healthcare directive would be helpful as well. Or any hospital admission. Sure. And so, you know, for those people who like to go to Vegas, because, of course, nobody from Hawaii goes to Vegas ever, and I'm kidding, um, that this may be something that they could even have a copy put in their suitcase. Should the need arise, you always want to be prepared. And not that you have to pack your pulse or pack your advanced directive, but it would be nice if you had even just a reference to it somewhere so that should the need arise, people are able to access that. Now, we had somebody last week who was concerned that there was something that superseded the pulse. We had a shy caller say, is there a form that, that actually is is overwhelming and overarching the pulse? 
I think I know what they're talking about because I was mistakenly calling it the physician's order for life-sustaining treatment. And in fact, the current term is the provider's order for life-sustaining treatment because we have we have looked in the medical community and recognized that sometimes the provider may be an excellent nurse practitioner, a physician assistant. It may not necessarily be a physician. Correct. So and that was passed in 2014. Yes. Um, yeah. New legislation. So that's kind of a new version of the POLST, which right. really keeps the same acronym but just changes physician to provider. Correct. And there really isn't anything that supersedes that. Okay. No. That's what I thought. And it was all it was all my discussion saying physician that led us to say, yes, there's something that's above that, which is really, we just called, we changed the name. We called it provider order. Okay. So we know who needs to have your, your pulse and your advanced directive. Now, these sorts of documents are things that we look at when somebody is having a serious health issue um, or hopefully before they have the health issue, we put these wishes in writing. Let's talk a little bit about when someone has a serious health issue. Because the other thing I'd like to mention briefly that some people have some questions about and don't necessarily know the difference of is palliative care and hospice. Because a lot of times we ask about these advanced directives, and if you are in a situation where your condition is considered terminal and you're not going to get better, there are some options for you. So when you make that decision or when your health makes that decision for you, it doesn't mean that everything stops immediately. It doesn't mean that nobody cares for you at all anymore medically. There's a difference in those two different types of services. And Lonnie, you've done this for the last several years, and now you're working with Islands Hospice, but you are participating with palliative care. Tell me what the difference is. What's the basic difference? Well, palliative care is helping um, if you have a patient with a serious terminal illness, um, chronic condition, advanced stages, palliative care is brought on to help with symptom management. So if you have a patient um, who um, is has cancer and is going through radiation and chemotherapy and they have pain issues, palliative care can be brought on to help them with pain management or adverse reaction from the chemotherapy symptom management to help keep them more comfortable. So you're treating the primary illness and you're helping treat some of the other secondary symptoms that might occur as a result. Correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. Contrast that with hospice. Hospice is usually um, brought up with the patient when they're terminal, um, six months or less to live um, by, you know, um, and what that, um, with hospice, um, usually you, d you will not seek aggressive care anymore. Um, so you're not treating the primary illness correct. per se. If it was cancer, you may not still be receiving chemotherapy. Yes, but if it was like heart failure, you could still get your heart failure medicine. Correct. Okay. Correct. And it's helping, again, you know, with palliative care, with, um, you know, helping them with their symptoms of their advanced illness, keeping them comfortable. So the goals are essentially very similar. Keep someone comfortable, treat their symptoms. Right. If you're treating the primary illness, you would be in a palliative care situation. If you're not treating the primary illness because you cannot, you're in a hospice situation. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Joy, tell me a little bit about what sort of services we talk about when we talk about palliative care. What exactly does that mean? If you're in the hospital and you, you need some of these services, what are we talking about here? Somebody coming to your house, somebody helping you with your medications, like what are the palliative services? 
So palliative medicine basically is you're saying, like Lonnie explained, um, you're focusing on trying to keep that patient um, as comfortable as possible, and that can mean many different things. Um, it's you know treating the illness so that you're selecting treatments that may not necessarily. I know you mentioned the primary illness, may not necessarily cure the disease, um, but it's going to make that person more comfortable. Part of that can mean bringing in additional services like caregivers if that person is not able to care for themselves. It also could mean bringing in someone to help manage their medications if they're unable to do that on their own as well. Um, It can also mean, you know, specialists coming together to look at what treatments you're actually getting and which treatments are actually helping you and making you feel better versus some that are actually making you feel weaker if you have a lot of side effects such as Lani discussed like nausea and vomiting and then you cannot eat and it's kind of this, you know, domino effect. So it's a very comprehensive service. It's not um, something that, you know, probably your office visit is not going to be 15 minutes. It's probably going to be a lot longer because it's really comprehensive looking at all the different aspects of your care. And it's a team approach. It's not just one person. It's actually several different people collectively deciding and meeting together, either virtually, electronically, or on the phone on your behalf, or even physically with the individual involved. It's not just one. It's a team. Correct. Yes. Okay. And And that another important um, part of palliative care could also be goals of care discussion, such as completing a pulse form. Um, and kind of getting that um, discussion happening with the patient and or family. Sure, because, you know, sometimes it's not an accident. I mean, if somebody has an accidental injury and they wind up in the hospital and they don't do well, it was precipitated by an unexpected event. But in some cases, for those people who have advanced heart problems or advanced kidney problems or advanced cancer, there may be somewhat of a predictability about it. Mm -hmm. And you might be able to initiate some of these discussions and talk about some of these issues before the emergency happens, before you get to that point. Right. And goals of care obviously change as one finds about their illness or if things are worsening. And um, it gives them a chance to really talk with the provider um, about what their wishes are in that changed environment. Now, one of the things we mentioned before we went on air, which I'd like to actually talk about again, is that some of the major insurance companies have supportive care programs. Mm -hmm. And one of the ones that a lot of folks have, and certainly not everybody, and it's not exclusive, but keeps it easy in my brain, HMSA is one of our major providers in the state. And they actually have this supportive care program, which is part of their palliative care program. What is that? And who gets to take advantage of that? If you have a condition where you still want um, treatment for your your um, condition, like an advanced cancer, um, COPD, um, heart failure, or liver disease, and you're still seeing your specialists, um, you can be a part of supportive care, and um, different hospices do have um, supportive care program. Um, It's not a traditional hospice because you can still um, seek aggressive care. If you have an advanced cancer, you can still get your radiation and your chemotherapy, still see your specialist physicians. And um, hospice is brought on under the supportive care program to help the patients and families navigate um, symptom management and kind of navigate as their disease, um, you know, maybe gets better or worsens. 
and um, they're allowed 90 days uh, per calendar year. And you can come on and off of the program if the patient's doing well and maybe you want to back off to save their days. You can do that, and then re-enrollment should they, you know, re-enroll them should they need the services again. And you wouldn't necessarily be involved in the supportive care, palliative care, and hospice simultaneously. Correct. It's one or the other. And oftentimes, if patients do need traditional hospice, um, they can be enrolled in that and come off of supportive care that way. Now, even when we talk about hospice scenarios, if somebody had certain medications they were taking and they needed to have things monitored, it doesn't mean you can't do blood tests. It doesn't mean you can't do any testing to keep someone comfortable. Correct, correct. But you have to ask, you know, are the tests going to change the outcome, you know? Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. So you wouldn't be doing cholesterol testing. Right. You know, there are certain parameters for which you probably don't need to know cholesterol if if we don't think you're going to get better. But if we're giving you water pills and we need to check potassium, for Mm -hmm. example, to make sure that you're not at risk for leg cramps or some negative symptom or consequence, then there'd be a reason to do that. Mm Mm-hmm. Do people often have a hard time transitioning from palliative care to hospice care? Um, Certain patients do. Um, You know, I think it's very individual. I mean, you've seen all kinds of patients and families, and some are accepting and some have a more more difficulty with that. But hospice does bring a lot of... um, great um, interdisciplinary um, teams that have social workers and chaplains that really help patients and families um, with such a difficulty, um, difficult situation. And I think of those folks as angels, just anybody who really steps in at a moment when a lot of other people step away, I think is is just one of the angels out there that, that we need more of. And Joy, let's talk just briefly about the whole idea of people who might get to the point where they have a medical condition that requires palliative care or hospice care. When should, when should these discussions and where should these discussions start to take place? So I think as someone, you know, starts to become more ill or unfortunately suffer from their disease, then definitely speaking to their you know, physician is the first place to start. Um, with hospice care, though, you can actually, the referral does not have to come from your provider. It can actually come from the patient. It can come from the family. And even if you think perhaps, you know, if mom or dad would qualify for supportive care and perhaps your doctor does not know much about it as well, I don't know if a lot of people know, but um, HMSA actually contracted with the hospice teams out there for supportive care simply because even with supportive and palliative care, you want that interdisciplinary team approach. And it's just that the hospice services were out there already established with these teams. So they could probably call any of the hospice and get more information about supportive care. So if you want more information, mm-hmm. you can get it from your doctor's office, right. but also you can get it from the hospice organizations in the state. Correct. And then there is a website that we kind of talked a little bit about last week, Kakua Mao. Yes. That's a place where there's a lot of great information and resources for folks. There's even a very much more extended discussion of advanced healthcare directives that we didn't go through that whole extended process today, um, but other resources that people can look to to find more information. 
No, that's an excellent website, and there's actually a lot of um, information even for providers as well as patients. So it's a very good resource, yes. And so that's another option for folks if yes. they need it. So let's talk about where people can get some of these resources. So we mentioned that they can get them at Kakua Mau. We mentioned they can get the resources available at uh, any of the hospice organizations. You can ask your doctor, and they can also help you as well. And, you know, I've had folks who have come in and said, do I qualify for any services? What else can I get or do? Or I have grandma who needs some help. What else can I do to help out grandma? And so there you can even be a family member who calls and says, I need some help. What can we do to enroll our loved one? And that's okay, too. Right. And there's also the um, Senior Handbook, which I think American Savings still puts out once a year. And that's a very good general kind of reference book. But, yeah, that's uh, also a good resource as well. So lots of really good resources out there. Lonnie, you're with Islands Hospice now. So do folks call there and want to know more information about some of the uh, supportive care programs? And, and at Islands Hospice, you're able to provide that? Yes, yes. They have um, a lot of uh, community liaisons that can provide a wealth of information for patients and families who often meet with the patients and kind of discuss things with them. And that's the other That's the other point that I want everyone to feel comfortable with is that this whole process of as we get older, you know, I've seen endless times in the hospital where a family in crisis is being forced to make very important life-altering decisions. And because they've waited until they're in crisis, this becomes a much more difficult process. So for those folks who, who want to initiate these conversations earlier, There are palliative care clinics. Last week we had Dr. Anna on, and she was talking about the one at Queens. Uh, Joy, correct me if I'm wrong, but there is one at Straub as well. And there are options for folks Mm -hmm. who want to know more about it. Talk with your doctor. Discuss with your provider. Discuss with your family members. And really make sure that this conversation takes place a lot sooner than the emergency that happens in the hospital. Correct. It's so important. I think the sooner you do it, the better better outcomes to make sure that your wishes are carried out. And, you know, you can bring up that conversation at the dinner table. I mean, we had it here at the radio table with my dad. So there are there are places where you can bring it up. But I think the most important thing is find out what your loved ones want and figure out how you can respect their wishes in the most appropriate way possible. I completely agree. I think starting the conversation is the first step. And then second is just recording that conversation. Documenting it. (laughs) Yeah, recording it on air, live, or recording (laughs) it uh, on paper, which uh, we will put down on paper as well. I want to thank both of you for coming in and joining us today and and helping really answer some of the good questions that we need to to get out there about advanced care planning. Thank you for having us. Yes. All right. And the answers, more importantly, the answers about them. All right. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on Facebook. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week right here at 5 on The Body Show. See you then. Thank you.